0: And answers. <laughs> One of the most intriguing books of the Bible is the book of Revelation. The imagery of the cosmic battle in heaven and on earth makes it a fascinating book to study. However, much debate surrounds the proper interpretation of this apocalyptic work. Is this book a prophecy of future events yet to take place? Or have the prophecies of this book been fulfilled? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Join us now as Pat begins part one of a message entitled, The Four Views of Revelation.
1: One of the most intriguing books of the Bible is the book of Revelation. Now the imagery of the cosmic battle in heaven and on earth makes it a fascinating book to study. However, there's a lot of debate and confusion that surrounds the proper interpretation of this apocalyptic work. Is this book a prophecy of future events yet to take place? Or have the prophecies of this book already been fulfilled? Two popular authors highlight the debate that continues in our present time. In his hit series, Left Behind, Tim LaHaye wrote a fictional account based on his theological position that the events of Revelation will occur in the future. Popular radio talk show host Hank Hanegraaff, the Bible Answer Man, responded by attacking the theology of LaHaye. In his book, The Apocalypse Code, Hanegraaff asserts that the events of Revelation were largely fulfilled in 70 A.D. with the fall of the Jerusalem Temple. He criticizes theologians like Tim LaHaye, schools like Moody Bible College, Wheaton, Biola, Dallas Theological Seminary, and others for taking what he calls a hyper-literal approach to Revelation. The debate that many people are hearing on the radio and seeing has raised some confusion amongst Christians as to why there is such a debate and how we should interpret the book of Revelation. Now the issues at the core of this debate between Hanegraaff and Lahaye and others, they're not new. Throughout church history, there have been four different views regarding the book of Revelation. You may not have been aware of this, but this has been a debate going on for centuries. And there's been four ways theologians and Bible scholars have interpreted the book of Revelation. Now, they're largely based in these four schools, the idealist, preterist, historicist, and futurist view. The Idealist view generally teaches that Revelation describes in symbolic language the battle throughout the ages between God and Satan, good and evil. The Preterist view teaches that the events recorded in the book of Revelation were largely fulfilled in 70 A.D. with the fall of the Jerusalem Temple. The Historicist view teaches that the book of Revelation is a symbolic presentation of church history beginning in the 1st century A.D., through the end of the age. The prophecies of Revelation are fulfilled in various historic events such as the fall of the Roman Empire, the Protestant Reformation, and the French Revolution. The Futurist view teaches that Revelation, the prophecies, are prophecies of events that will take place in the future. These events include the rapture of the church, seven years of tribulation, and a millennial rule of Christ upon the earth. Now, hermeneutics is at the core of this debate, and hermeneutics is the art and science of interpretation. Don't be intimidated by that word. You do hermeneutics every day. All right? When you read the newspaper, you read the front page different from how you read the editorials. And when you read poetry, you read it differently than how you would Newsweek magazine. Because you understand the style of writing, the context requires different kinds of interpretation. Right? That's hermeneutics. Now, each view attempts to interpret Revelation according to the laws of hermeneutics. And this is central to the debate about how we should interpret Revelation. The idealist approach believes that apocalyptic literature like revelation okay apocalyptic means where there's highly symbolic writing here and when we have apocalyptic literature like revelation it should be interpreted allegorically the preterists and historicists views are similar in some ways to the allegorical method uh, but it's more accurate to say preterists and historicists view revelation as symbolic history The Preterist views Revelation as a symbolic presentation of events that occurred in 70 AD, while the Historicist school views the events as symbolic of all of Western church history. The Futurist school believes Revelation should be interpreted literally. In other words, the events of Revelation are to occur at a future time. We have not seen If you interpret it literally, we have not seen the things in the book of Revelation fulfilled in history. Therefore, it's going to occur at a future time. So my goal in this series is to present a brief overview of the four views of Revelation and present the strengths of each view as well as their weaknesses. And I hope that you'll gain a basic understanding of the debate amongst Bible scholars and theologians today. So the first view we're going to take a look at is the idealist view. Now, the idealist view it's also known as the spiritual view. This view uses the allegorical method to interpret the book of Revelation. Now, the allegorical approach to Revelation was introduced to us by the great scholar and church father Origen, who lived in the late 2nd and early 3rd century AD, but This style of interpretation was made very prominent by one of the giant scholars, philosophers, and theologians of church history, the great Saint Augustine, who lived in the 4th century into the early 5th century AD. Now, according to this view, the events of Revelation are not tied to any specific historical events. The imagery of the book symbolically presents the ongoing struggle throughout the ages of God against Satan, and good against evil. And in this struggle, the saints are persecuted and martyred by the forces of evil, but will one day receive their vindication. And in the end, God is victorious and His sovereignty is displayed throughout the ages. Dr. Robert Mounts, who writes one of the finest commentaries on the book of Revelation, he summarizes the idealist view, stating, Revelation is a theological poem presenting the ageless struggle between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. It is a philosophy of history wherein Christian forces are continuously meeting and conquering the demonic forces of evil. In his commentary in the late 19th century, scholar William Milligan stated, while the apocalypse thus embraces the whole period of the Christian dispensation, it sets before... Us, within this period, the action of great principles and not special incidents, we are not to look in the apocalypse for special events, both for the exhibition of the principles which govern the history of both the world and the church. in other words, Dr. Milligan was stating that we are to look at this book symbolically and that it's not tied to events of history on the earth. so the symbols of revelation are not tied to specific events, but point to themes throughout church history. The battles in Revelation, then, are viewed as spiritual warfare manifested in the persecution of Christians or wars in general that have occurred throughout history. The beasts from the sea, for example, may be identified as the satanically inspired political opposition to the church in any age. So that beast rising out of the sea in Revelation 13 is simply a symbol of the satanic opposition that comes upon and persecutes the church. The beast in re, also in Revelation 13, in that latter part of 13, that rises from the land, represents pagan or corrupt religion of or against Christianity. The harlot there in Revelation chapter 17 represents the compromised church or the seduction of the world in general. Then when you go through the book of Revelation beginning in chapter 5, each seal and then the trumpet judgments and then the bold judgments simply represent natural disasters, wars, famines and the like which occur as God works out His plan throughout history. The catastrophes represent God's displeasure with sinful man. However, sinful man goes through these catastrophes while still refusing to turn to God and repent of their sin. And in the end, God ultimately triumphs in the end. Now, there's some strengths to this view, and you need to understand the context in which it occurred. In church history, when this view became very popular, remember, in 325 AD, the church conquered the Roman Empire, and the emperor Constantine became a Christian, and stopped the persecution of the Christians, and in fact, even made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. So you can see the struggle that Augustine and some of the church fathers at that time had. There wasn't that great persecution coming upon the church. It had come to an end. In fact, the church had been triumphant. It triumphed and conquered the Roman Empire. So you can see why They took the idealist view here. Now, the strength of this view is that it avoids the problem of trying to harmonize passages with events in history. And it makes the book of Revelation applicable and relevant for all periods of church history. If the book of Revelation is a symbolic struggle of good and evil, then it can be applied to any time in the history of the church. Right now, there are several weaknesses of this view. First, this view denies that the book of Revelation has any historical fulfillment. The simples portray the ever-present conflict, but no necessary consummation of the historical process. But when you read Revelation 1.1, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him to show to His servants, the things that must soon take place. So Revelation 1.1 states that the events will soon come to pass shortly giving the impression that John is prophesying of future historical events that are about to take place here upon the earth. Second, reading spiritual meanings into the text could lead to all kinds of arbitrary interpretations. Followers of this approach have often allowed the cultural and sociological and political factors of their time to influence their interpretation rather than seeking the author's intended meaning. And that's the proper interpretation when it comes to hermeneutics you want to know what did the author mean not what it means to me and Christians make mistake when they read the text saying what does it mean to me first you must understand what was the author's intention what did the author mean right then you go from there for example if you read a letter from your father. You don't look at it and say, Well, what does it mean to me? You automatically understand, What did my father mean when he wrote this to me? Okay? And that's how you interpret the Bible. What did John mean when he was writing to his readers at that time? Okay? And that's how you interpret it. So in the allegorical interpretation, often you'll see that. The cultural, sociological, or political factors influence the interpretation right, rather than them seeking what the author intended. Merrill Tenney, an outstanding Bible scholar, wrote this. He said, the idealist view assumes a spiritual interpretation and allows no concrete significance whatever to figures that it employs. According to this viewpoint, they are not merely symbolic of events and persons as Historicist view contends. They are only abstract symbols of good and evil. They may be attached to any time or place, but like the characters of the pilgrim's progress, represent qualities or trends. In interpretation, the apocalypse may thus mean anything or nothing according to the whim of the interpreter. So unless interpreters are grounded in the grammatical, historical, and contextual method of hermeneutics, they leave themselves open to Alternate interpretations that may even contradict the author's intended meaning. That's why when you look at idealist interpretations of the Bible, even amongst the idealist schools, they have various ways they interpret the symbols of revelation. Right? The proper rules of hermeneutics is you look at the grammar, its historical context, and the context, the literary style in which it is written and you build your interpretation on that. Okay? And we do that every day, all right? So you apply the laws of hermeneutics every day when you read an article, you look at the grammar, the sentence structure, the time in which it's written, the context and the style of writing, and that tells you automatically how to interpret it. You do it every day, all right? And in the symbolic or the idealist interpretation, There seems to be an inconsistency in following the laws of hermeneutics. Now, the second view is the preterist view. Now, preter means past. It's derived from the Latin. And there are two major views among preterists. You have full preterists and partial preterists. Both views believe that the prophecies of Revelation and the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 They were fulfilled in the first century with the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Chapters 1 through 3 describe the conditions in the seven churches of Asia Minor prior to the Jewish War, which broke out in 66 AD and ended in 70 AD with the final destruction of the city of Jerusalem. The remaining chapters of Revelation and Jesus' Olivet Discourse describe the fall of Jerusalem to the Romans. Now, Full preterists believe that all the prophecies found in Revelation were fulfilled in 70 AD and that we are now living in the eternal state or the new heavens and the new earth. So full preterism would actually be a heretical view because you deny the literal second coming of Christ. Partial preterists believe that most of the prophecies of Revelation were fulfilled with the destruction of the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD. But the last chapters, 20 through 22, those three chapters are future. And so they point to future events such as the future resurrection of the believers in Christ and unbelievers and the return of Christ to the earth. So partial preterists, they do view full preterism as heretical because it denies the second coming of Christ and teaches an unorthodox view of the Resurrection. Now, church historians trace the roots of preterism to a Catholic Jesuit priest, Louis del Alcésar, who lived in the 16th century. Now, Alcésar's interpretation is considered a response to the Protestant Reformation that took the historical or the historicist view of Revelation and we'll talk about it a little bit later, the historicist view. But the historicist view identified the Pope as the Antichrist. So in response to this, the preterist view arose to popularity, especially in the Catholic Church, because if the events of Revelation are fulfilled in 70 AD, then the Pope cannot fulfill the role of the Antichrist. However, some preterists contend that preterist teachings are found in the writings of the early church, maybe as early as the fourth century AD. Now, crucial to the view of the preterists is the date of the book of Revelation. When was this book written? Since it has a prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem, preterists need to hold that the book of Revelation was written prior to 70 A.D. Somewhere in the early 60s, this book had to have been written in order for it to be a book of prophecy. So according to this view, John was writing specifically to the church of his day and had only this situation in mind. So the letter was written to encourage the saints to persevere under the persecution of the Roman Empire. Now preterists point to several reasons to support their view. First, Jesus stated in one of the final verses of the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, verse 34, he said, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now, a generation is usually considered 40 years. So the fall of Jerusalem would fit the time Jesus predicted. Second, Josephus, first century Jewish historian, detailed the record of the Jerusalem fall and Appears in several ways, it can match the symbolism of the book of Revelation. Finally, this view would be directly relevant to John's readers of his day. So those are some of the supports for the preterist view. Now, there are several criticisms of this view. First, the events described in Jesus' Olivet discourse and in Revelation chapters 4 through 19 differ in several ways from the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. One example is that Christ described his return to Jerusalem in terms you know, stating that as lightning that comes from the east is visible, even in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Preterists believe that this refers to the Roman army's advance on Jerusalem. However, the Roman army advanced on Jerusalem from the west. They did not come from the east. They came from the west. And their assault was not as quick as a lightning strike. The Jewish war lasted for several years before Jerusalem was besieged and the city fell after a lengthy siege. Second, uh, General Titus did not set up an abomination of desolation as Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24:15. Jesus says when you see the abomination standing in the holy place as prophesied by Daniel, All right, he said, then let everyone in Judea flee to the mountains. Well, when this first happened in the book of Daniel, Antiochus Epiphanes in 167 BC entered the Holy of Holies, set up an image of his God, Jupiter, and sacrificed the pig on the altar, desecrating the temple. Now, Jesus said, when you see this one more time, then flee to the hills. Well, when Titus came in 70 AD, He destroyed the temple and burned it to the ground. He did not set up any kind of abomination or of desolation there. So it appears that the preterist is required to allegorize or stretch the metaphors and symbols in order to find fulfillment of the prophecies in the fall of Jerusalem. Another example of allegorical interpretation by preterists is their interpretation of Revelation 7 verse 4. John identifies a special group of prophets, the 144,000, from the tribes of Israel. Now, when Preterist Hank Hanegraaff, the Bible Answer Man, when he answers this, he states that this group represents the true bride of Christ as referred to in Revelation 7, 9, as the great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. In other words, he's saying the 144,000 in verse 4, And the great multitude from every tribe, nation, tribe, people, and language, in verse 9, are the same people. Well, this appears to go against the context of the chapter for several reasons. First, throughout the Bible, the phrase tribes of Israel, when you see that phrase, it refers to literal Jews. Second, John identifies the 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. This is a strange way to describe the multitude of believers from all nations. Finally the context shows John is speaking of two different groups, one on the earth the 144,000 also referenced in chapter 7 verses 1 through 3 and the great multitude in heaven that's before the throne in 7 verse 9. Then you have amongst the 144,000 there are those two special witnesses, right who Able to shut up the sky so it doesn't rain for years. Those who would seek to do harm to the two, fire comes out of their mouths. They're able to strike people, cause pestilence in the area of Jerusalem and Israel there. And then they are killed. Their bodies are hung in the streets for three days, three nights. And then the world rejoices and hands out presents like Christmas time. And then they suddenly come back to life are resurrected and then are raptured to heaven. Who exactly are these two? Well, the preterists have a lot of difficulty answering who these two witnesses are. So here in passages like this, Hank Hanegraaff and others seem to be allegorizing the text. Once again, Robert Mounts, who writes an outstanding Commentary on the Book of Revelation states this. He says the major problem with the preterist position is that the decisive victory portrayed in the latter chapters of the apocalypse was never achieved. It is difficult to believe that John envisioned anything less than the complete overthrow of Satan, the final destruction of Israel and the eternal reign of God. If this is not to be, then either the seer was essentially wrong in the major thrust of his message, or his work was so helplessly ambiguous that its first recipients were all led astray. Mounts and other New Testament scholars believe the Preterists' interpretations are not consistent and utilize allegorical interpretations to make the passages fit their theological view.
0: run out of time thank you for joining us here on evidence and answers radio broadcast we hope you enjoyed today's show if you would like pat to speak at your church bible study or perhaps hold an apologetics conference give him a call locally in hawaii that number is 483-0586 or you may contact him through the evidence and answers website that's evidence and to keep broadcasts like pat's on the air we rely on generous support from you our listeners for the opportunity to donate head on over to our website once again, that's EvidenceAndAnswers.org, and you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, so be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zukeran. <laughs>